welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, ladies, good morning. Nice to be back again. Dominique, I'm going to give it to you to kind of introduce what it is that we're going to talk about today. I thought we'd do sort of a lightning round. I have a couple well-worn sayings. I'd like to hear both your opinions about it. And the first one is, nothing to be done until they hit bottom. (laughs) What does that mean? And how does that translate with our work? That's a good one. Because what's so interesting is that that one means that, okay, there's this actual location or, or state of being that is motivating, that is enough, that it's the end of the line where people are like, I have to do something, I'm at this bottom. And that's the meaning of that statement, that there's a destination where the sky opens up and people are willing to make changes. Like that's the bottom, whatever that means. The irony in my reaction is to this is, wow, I have seen people be in the most horrendous situations imaginable, including dying and being brought back to life. And that apparently is not the destination that helps to change things. I think my son is a perfect example of that because my son basically did die. He was put on life support. And that was in the beginning of the journey. He didn't stop using after he overdosed and ended up on life support. And there's just a whole host of things that drive me crazy about this idea of of rock bottom. They have to hit rock bottom. I hear it all the time, even from professionals. Oh, he hasn't or she hasn't hit rock bottom yet. And I want to say to them, how the heck do you know? How do you know whether someone is ready and willing to make that big change right now. That's that's first off. You're trying to read someone's mind and you can't. Saying that to family members is one of the worst things you can say because it really brings a lot of that there's no hope, right? Like I have to sit back and I have to wait until my loved one does something that is so drastic before they decide to make change. So I have no ability to interact or to influence or to do anything that might help this person turn towards something else and help to better their life. And that is simply not true. It it is not true. The other thing is just like what Kayla was saying, saying someone has to hit rock bottom, it insinuates that it's this one moment in time and it's just that moment that your loved one is going to now never use again. And it's totally, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's, we're all human beings and none of us do that, right? Like not one of us. I know that anytime I need to make change in my life, it isn't one moment in time that I just go, oh my God, I'm going to, change my the way I eat and eat healthy and exercise. And I, I often do get on a track of eating healthy, exercising, my clothes start fitting me nicely. I start feeling really good about myself. And then something happens and I'm off my, I'm off my healthy eating, you know, I'm eating gluten again and uh, my clothes don't fit me. I got to buy two sizes up, you know, <laughs> But that doesn't mean I don't go back 
to eating healthy and exercising later on, change is a lot more fluid than that. It's a lot more fluid than one moment in time. See, and I think about this as seeds, okay? Because when I look at people's progress and how people actually get to a place where they're like, okay, I really do want to maintain this way of life, whatever that way of life is. It's they tried and they go back, they tried and go back. And I feel like what my belief is every time you go to get help, every time you make a shift, every time you make change, you are planting seeds in your body that are accumulating. And at some point it's actually going to manifest, which is really what when people say, oh, when they get to the rock bottom, but really, if there's somebody who actually is able to have long-term not using, it's because they've done all these other times where they tried and it didn't work and they tried and it didn't work. And then at some point, something does shift, but it's because of all the, th the work that they've done before. It's not that they've been down, 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 down in the pit. And now the pit is so low. They're like, oh, here we go. It's time. It's really more that they've worked and they've done other things. And then they're like, okay, whatever this is, I need to do this. And I'm going to use all the things that I've already been practicing and learning, but now I really want to focus on this. And really, can you think of anything worse for someone who's really ill with substance use disorder and everybody around them is, is hands off because they haven't hit bottom. So there's no rock bottom. So hands off in terms of social connection, hands off in terms of economic help, in terms of housing, in terms of everything this person's going to need in order to recover is some attention to a lot of different areas in their life. But no, rock bottom means nothing you can do until they hit rock bottom. And you are missing such an opportunity by doing nothing that for me, it's it's negligence almost. And when you know what can happen with programs like craft, when you know what's possible, rock bottom shouldn't even exist anymore. And I have to say, I've hit some pretty low places in my life. And I mean, I remember one time I I was on crutches because I'd shot up my foot so bad. They were swollen. I couldn't walk. The elevator didn't work. Two in the morning and I'm screaming my bloody head off in the foyer. 100 pounds. And, you know, so there were some pretty, I have some pretty images of myself in use. But what finally helped me to stop was being embarrassed. I had been out on a bender on my property. My roommates were finding empty bottles of wine. And I'd been having a good old time. They were away for the weekend. I had squirreled away enough pills, enough booze. And, you know, I was ready for my relapse. And Somebody walked into the house and said, where did this bottle come from? And I went, oh, you know, and, and so that's what made me walk into an AA meeting that, that following day. So you just don't know. You just don't know what moves people. And really, in our modules, we talk about the opposite has happening. Maybe an estranged sister comes by and you're not drinking and she and you have a, a moment together. That's a moment that might bring more insight about recovery than being left homeless in the streets in winter or whatever rock bottom you think means. For me, I had been using quite a bit when I was in my early 30s. And I was actually throwing this party for an organization for New Year's. And I had a great time and I was focused and I was trying to make it this great party. And at the end of the night, I was like, wow, 
I didn't drink or use any drugs whatsoever. And I had a really good time. And that was what got me going. I was like, that was shocking. It was this moment of surprise for me. Well, that's interesting. I find it very interesting because, and I totally believe this. So what Dominique said in her example was actually, it was the connection with people that helped her. It was the feelings of embarrassment in that moment and starting to understand something specific about herself rather than her walking up and down the stairs and screaming and and not being connected to people. I also believe that people can spiral out and get so low that it's even harder to go into recovery. And I also think what Kayla, the example Kayla gave, is also another example of, no, people don't have to always be suffering. There's, oh, look, there's a reward. There's a, there's something positive to reach for. Oh, wow. I, you know, I was hosting this party. I didn't have a drink the entire night and I had a ball. You know, I think I want more of this. And then maybe noticing every time you drink, I have a hangover and then I spend the entire week in a, in a state of depression and I start feeling better by Friday, but then I start drinking again Friday night and I go back into a depression. So it's a combination of both of feeling uh, or having these negative experiences that are pushing you towards it and kind of having natural consequences that are pushing you towards, I don't want to feel this way but also having positive reinforcement like Kayla experienced and saying, oh, I want more of that. So, and what Dominique is saying, I have a wonderful experience with my sister. I want more of this versus being embarrassed or feeling depressed all week long. And also another point, which is exactly kind of like what we're talking about is statistically, There is research done, the more recovery capital a person has to draw from, the more likely they are to be successful in their recovery process. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they go into long-term recovery or abstinence or anything like that. All that means is the more that they have to draw from in order to better their life. And also I want to kind of throw this in there. So what does that mean, recovery capital? It means having family around you, supportive family, maybe church, maybe groups, support groups, maybe an education, maybe medical care for any kind of medical needs you might have. I mean, these are all things that are recovery capital. And I also throw in boundaries as a part of recovery capital. Of course, with craft, we don't want you to disconnect we do want you to hold to some boundaries that are going to keep you connected, but keep you connected in a positive way. And the whole work of craft and what we're teaching you to do is to actually create some of these positive moments or these negative moments by allowing natural consequences, positive moments by seeing something they're doing right and encouraging it and making it a bigger moment for them. That's what you are there in in their immediate environment 
you're looking at them, you're registering what they're doing with respect to addiction, right? You're looking at addiction all the time. You're trying to put the rest of it aside, the where their pants lands or with the color of their hair or anything, anything else that's driving you mad. And you're really focused on just how are they in this moment? Are they high or are they not? Am I to reward or am I to step away? And that's it. That's what you need to ask yourself. And then you've got tons of tools to say, hey, you know, right now is not a great moment for me. I'm going to go to my room. And you just get yourself out of there. And the natural consequences, nobody's cooking lunch, nobody's to sit with, nobody to talk with. We were talking about tough love in the last podcast. And I, all that blank time that nobody's doing anything for the person with addiction because you've thrown them out and won't have contact until they decide they're in, they want recovery is wasted time. It's just so painful that when we know what works, that there are these little things the family can do that encourage maybe a little non-use or discourage a little use or provide experiences like, I think it was Kim a couple of weeks ago said, you know, the guy said, Oh, no, it was in your talk yesterday at the University of Mississippi, Kayla, but that dad asked his son 10 times to go play tennis. And he said no each time. And the 11th time he went and played tennis and they had a great time and there was no drinking and they were together and they enjoyed each other. And it was a really favorable recovery moment. Did he not go home and use? I don't know. But right then you had two hours of really pleasant connectivity with a very important person in your life with your father. So what are the other questions? I'll give you the one that is my own, which I like to, to like to say, and it's a positive one. So we'll end on a positive <laughs> note, which is in order to get day two abstinence, you need day one abstinence. So I always think about it starts with day one. So I want our families to look at their loved ones. And even if it's just one day, a half a day, it's day one. So day one is stepping in and trying to encourage day two through rewards, right? But just remember, day one is the starting place. People go, ah, oh, you know, he's been he's not drinking for a week, but I don't believe him. I mean, he's going to go back anytime now. This is I've seen him do this a hundred times. No, day one, day one leads to day two. So I just want to throw my optimistic pessimism in here because as some of you might know, I was raised by optimistic pessimists. I defined it myself, which is expect the worst and hope that you're wrong. Some people call it waiting for the other shoe to drop, whatever. But it's this living with the expectation that something bad's going to happen, even if something good is happening right now. And what we're asking you to do is just be in the moment and not have that secondary anticipation that something, this is temporary and it's going to fail and something bad's going to happen. And I'm not saying that that's not a true possibility or a real possibility, but it's not helpful in this situation. It does not prepare you. It does not make you more able to manage things. It does not allow you not to be disappointed. It's none of those positive things from expecting bad things actually happen. It just puts you in a bad mood and it makes you feel negative. So what we're asking you to do is when you notice good things, embrace it, enjoy it, relax into it. You're just talking about the moment. You're not getting all Pollyanna and you know ridiculous and hopeful. It's just, oh, this is lovely right now. Let me be present. It's funny because we talked about this this week too. Things are always changing. And so when things are rosy and pink and wonderful, it won't stay that way. 
it's going to change. Things are going to get complicated and difficult again. They may go a little gray. And then once they're gray, they're not going to stay gray. But we're so afraid of the dark. We're so afraid of the black and the gray that we're petrified to appreciate the pink. Because if we appreciate the pink, we have a lot farther to fall emotionally. So I think what Dominique, when we're talking about this, you know, one day, one day at a time, I even say one moment at a time, one moment at a time and appreciate there is a reason why when you're in a complicated situation, there is really good reason why we as human beings experience challenging feelings. So experience them. They're trying to teach you something. We're supposed to have them, otherwise we wouldn't have them, and know that they're not going to last forever. And to me, what that says, what the one day at a time says in order to get to the next day, it's the same thing as saying, be in the moment, be in the here and the now. And I hear it all the time where it's like, okay, no, let's stick to here. Let's stick to now what's going on right now in this moment. And then people will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm in this moment. I'm in this moment. And then they'll start talking about the future and what's going to happen in the future. You know, oh, but he's going to, then he's going to drink next week. And I know he won't last. He always, he only makes it seven days. And then on the eighth day, you, and it's like, nope, right here in this moment right now. So stay where you are right in that moment and think about what's positive in this moment, no matter how chaotic it is, focus on that. Like, you know what? You went a full day. That couldn't have been easy. Good job. I made you your favorite dinner. Let's sit down and eat. There's some positive reinforcement. It's staying in the moment. You're not to day eight. You're at day one. Enjoy it. Yeah, and just to flip it, I, I think this skill is the exact same thing when things are rough. The assumption when things are painful and difficult and hard is that they're going to last forever. And that's not the truth. And and by the way, this is a pain treatment. It's like, you don't just say, oh my God, I'm having this pain. It's going to, I had the pain all day. It's like, if you notice pain and any kind of struggle that you have, there are these little moments when it goes away. There is these moments. So anything that you focus on becomes bigger. And what you need to focus on is nothing is permanent. And so if you're just being in this moment and noticing the positive and enjoying the positive, that will feed your soul. If you don't get stuck in the, oh, this is never going to get any better, which is also not a one day at a time thinking, then you're going to, that makes everything a thousand times worse. So just be in the moment. Right. So be in the moment, but even when things are negative, you can find something positive. So, okay, it's day eight, there's a recurrence, but my loved one went seven days. I'm going to celebrate that. Hey, you know what? I know that there was a recurrence, but you went seven days and that's not an easy feat. How can we get you back on track? What is it that you think we could do? What's one thing that might move you back to another seven or eight days? I actually like this one. I think it's a positive. All right. So it's time to wrap. And we started out with tropes, which is basically well-worn sayings. And the two tropes that we talked about are there's nothing to be done until the person hits bottom. And the other part that we talked about was that basically the everything starts with one day. Both of those things about being present in the moment, that you're not making extreme changes or being extremely reactive, 
that you are slowing things down and just knowing what's working right this moment. Because both of those things are these big global, oh my God, there's this big thing happening. No, 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 slow it down, be present, notice what's working, practice what's good. Don't make any assumptions about having any clue about what's gonna work and not gonna work. You're just gonna focus on the small things that you are noticing and you're gonna actually appreciate them so that the good can get bigger. That's all we're talking about here. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. And we will talk again next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.